0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master, plan. Thanks for tuning in. God bless. We're going to be continuing our God is series tonight with part three. And we are going to be talking about a name most of you already know how to pronounce because most of the time it's said right, which is Jehovah Shalom. And we're going to be talking about Shalom tonight and what Shalom Peace is and what that actually means. If you're tuning with us online, thank you so much for joining with us. What I want to do is invite you and give you a personal invitation to come on down and join us at 1225 Old Cape Road right here in Jackson, Missouri on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. We have Next Level Freedom Church Sunday mornings at 1030. Joy Church has their service, and we attend with them, so you can come to either service. We'd love to meet you and your family. And by the way, my name is Pastor Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church right here in Jackson, Missouri. Thanks for tuning online, but come on down. We want to see you. We want to meet you in person. How are you guys doing tonight? Seems like everybody's kind of tired. It's like a quiet across the room. But that's all right. So and oh and we're going to be talking about peace. So oh no you're but I hope you're not going to sleep for the peace we're going to talk about tonight. So uh but Yehovah Shalom. So uh here's what we're going to do. The key passage for the next two weeks is going to be coming out of 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 and it says now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Some translations, freedom. And that's exactly what it means liberty or freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit. Of the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray tonight and then we will get into this word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening, Lord. We thank you for those tuning online. We thank you for those that are here tonight, God. We just ask, Lord, that you will speak your words through me, that they would not be my own words tonight, God. That your words would come across this microphone and those listening would receive the word that you would have for them to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So, for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the names of God. That's why the title of the series is God is who is god in your life the bible gives us names throughout the old testament and we're showing how jesus fulfilled those names in the new testament and that is how we get to know god the best translation of who god is that we have was jesus When he came on the flesh and he showed us just how loving of a God we serve and he gave his life so that we could live because before that, when you read the Old Testament, I've heard some people say it's sometimes like you're reading about two different gods, but that's not the case. In the Old Testament, you got to think about it. There were laws that were given to the Jewish people to cleanse them. They would offer sacrifices, certain ones for certain sins, and depending on how rich you were, you offered different things, but all that really did was cover up their sin for another year. But when Jesus came on the scene, he erased our sins and gave us a fresh start. 2 Corinthians is at 5:17, behold anyone who is in christ is a new creation all things have passed away behold all things have become new and it's not up there tonight so if you were looking for it you missed it but that's all right because i'm just quoting the bible to you because when you're born again your life should show some changes there should be some changes going on in your life you shouldn't be doing the same stuff you did yesterday that led you down the wrong path and got you in trouble You should be moving on to what God has for you. And can I make you a promise? And I'll back it by the book. You can take it to the bank. God's promises are a whole lot better than the ones this world is promising you. Because the world's promises always end in death. But God's promises end in life. And in our case, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So that's where we're going to head tonight. We're going to talk about Yehovah Shalom. And if you haven't caught the last couple of weeks, we talked about the forgiveness of sin and the deliverance from sins to dominion. This next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the names of God that show and give us that change through the Holy Spirit. The first week, I believe it was Yehovah Tzedek that we looked at, which was Yehovah Sitkanu, some of you have heard. The Lord God, our righteousness, and we talked about the fact that we're not really righteous because the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags, but we are declared righteous through the blood of Jesus. And we looked up Romans, and we talked about that that week. You can go back and check that out. Last week, we talked about Yehovah Kadesh, which was the Lord God who sanctifies. And we talked about the sanctification. Both weeks, the last couple of weeks, we talked about women in particular. The first week was the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, and we asked, well, where's the man? Might have been one of them. We don't really know, because how else do you know the adultery is going on? Mm -hmm. So let's just think about this with some common sense, just for a second. It's not in the Bible, but how did they know the adultery was happening? Unless somebody had a word or was involved. We really don't know. The Bible doesn't say on that particular, because remember, these were religious leaders. They were religious. They didn't have a relationship with God. That's what Jesus came to give us. And then last week, we talked about... The second woman, we talked about there's two different women that anointed Jesus' feet in the Bible. One was early on in his ministry, which was the woman we talked about last week. The other was later on in his ministry, which was Mary, the uh, sister of Lazarus, and she did it at her house. Some of the clues we find in the text about there's a difference. This lady we talked about last week, it actually happened at a religious leader's name, Simon. It was his house. A lot of people think it's the same one, but it's not. It was two different times in Jesus' ministry, and we talked about she had no name, and that was significant because he sanctifies us, fill in the blank. What offering do you bring? That perfume she broke, I don't know if we talked about it much last week, was a year's worth of oil, or actually more than that because they would save this from birth. They would put a little bit in each year, and all the way up till they got married, They would have this oil that the fathers and the daughters did that. In order to make it something special, on their wedding night, they'd have the perfume to start them. She breaks the bottle and puts it on Jesus' feet. Well, the religious people got a little shook up. Go back and check out last week's message. I don't want to go there tonight. You can check that out on last week's message, which was Yehovah uh, Kadesh, the Lord God who sanctifies. So we've talked about that we've got five benefits benefits of the new testament covenant and we're going to continue in the second part of that which is the fullness of the holy spirit tonight i'm not going to go back and reread all the five we'll talk about them as we come but the next two weeks we're looking at the fullness of the holy spirit we started with the scripture i do want to go ahead and you'll hear me read this every week because it's important larry lee's book could you not tarry one hour the quote is god's name jehovah reveals his readiness to save his people and to act for them Thus, the name Jehovah or I am that I am, ready to, or can be rendered, I am with you, ready to save and to act, just as I have always been. God's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. Jehovah means He's ready. He's ready to save you. Point is, you got to ask. You ask Jesus to come into your heart. You ask for a personal relationship with God, and then you begin building on that relationship by reading your Bible and spending time with God, praying, talking to him. Just like any natural relationship we have in this world, whether it's friends, family, spouses, how do you know them if you don't spend time with them? And you'd be surprised how many Christians don't really know much about God at all. They just claim the title because they haven't read the word they're not in their word they're not spending time with god but his name jehovah i'm ready to act to save he's ready to be with you and then also i got a couple of other quotes tonight which we may look at for the next couple of weeks one is from charles h i think there was a last name there It must not have got translated here Or Charles Spurgeon, sorry, Charles H. Spurgeon. Uh, He was a teacher in the 1800s. You can do some research on yourself. But he says, go forth today by the help of God's Spirit, vowing and declaring that in life come poverty, come wealth, in death, come pain, or come what may, you are and ever must be the Lord's. For this is written on your heart, We love him because he first loved us. What did that verse, and you'll get to see it if you're watching online. The quote will be at the bottom of the screen. It says, go forth today. And then he gets in, you're you're vowing that you're going to declare life. You're going to go for God's spirit. Come poverty, come wealth, in death, come pain, or come what may. It doesn't matter what curveballs the world throws at me. I belong to the Lord, and I love him because he first loved me by giving his son to die. The other one I got here tonight is G.K. Chesterton, and he said, how you think when you lose determines how long it will be until you win. That was interesting. Let me read it one more time. It'll be on the bottom of the screen for those of you online. How do you think when you lose determines how long it will be until you win? So when you're going through something, what you're thinking, your own mind's going to determine how long it's going to be till you win. We put ourselves in the midst of depression, anxiety, all these things that come our way because we're, we're not focusing on the right things in our life. We need to be focusing on Jesus. So how we think when we lose determines how long it'll be till we win. So it just because things look a little rough right now, I'm still declaring that he is Yehovah Shalom, the Lord God, my peace. Actually, it means the Lord God is peace, which we're going to read here in the text tonight. Judges chapter 6, verses 23 to 24 is where that name come from. And this is the story of Gideon. I'm not going to go back and talk about that for the sake of time. We did talk about it back in September, October. It says, then the Lord said to him, this is when he was calling Gideon out. And Gideon's a little nervous. Who am I, Lord, that you're going to call me? My tribe's the least of Manasseh. How in the world can I make a difference? How many of y'all ever caught yourself asking that question? I'm just one person in a little bitty town. Some of y'all may have beat me, but I come up with a town of 500 people. We were small. Oh, 350. He's got me beat. But... It doesn't matter how small you think you are. God's got big plans for you. He's got a plan for you that only you can accomplish in your life. He's waiting for you to say yes. What did Jehovah mean? I'm here. I'm ready to save you. I'm willing. Are you going to receive it? That's up to us. He said, Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. Yehovah Shalom. To this day, it is still on Ophrah in the Abizarites. Ter- of the Abizarites, in that territory, I guess. Or, so, the point is, if you don't know the story of Gideon, I'll give you the chapter Judges 6. Start there, because he gets called out. Read about Gideon. Read some of the miracles God used him to do. He Battles he won that in the world standards he shouldn't have won. But God. Whew, that's one we won't get on conjunction. Junction. But God. It looked bad for me. I was going through some stuff. But God had a plan for my life. And I walked in it. And when I walked in it, He became, no matter what distractions come my way in this world, he is Yehovah Shalom, the Lord God is peace. And let me just talk to you, let me just break it down. The word Shalom, you hear it a lot. They always greet each other in Israel. Shalom, Shalom, you hear them greeting. Shalom, what is Shalom? Shalom means completeness, safety, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, peace, quiet, tranquility, contentment. But it's not just peace. Peace in friendship of human relationships. Peace in your especially your relationship with God and your covenant with God. Peace from war. Peace as an adjective. That's an action word. Description word. Peace. Completeness. What they're saying is, pray your life's complete. Shalom. May your life be complete. May you have peace, not just any peace, the Lord's peace. And I'm speaking that over you tonight. We're going to look at a story out of Mark chapter 4. Here we go. Where did Jesus, just one of the stories, we can't get to all of them, but one of the stories we want to share with you tonight about where Jesus fulfilled this Yehovah Shalom name in our New Testament. Mark chapter 4 verses 35 and 36 is where we're going to start. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Pay attention. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. Any given moment in your New Testament, Jesus had thousands, hundreds of people following him. We hear about the 12. We know them by name. But there were so many more that followed him. So when it says they got in the boat and then it says there were other little boats with them, it's talking about all the other people that went with him. Now, he even taught from a boat, interestingly enough. One is to get away from the people because the hands are all over him, right? The other is it works kind of like a microphone. you ever been fishing on a pond? And you start talking, you can hear the person on the other side of the pond. That's because that water carries that sound. So it helped project him when he was teaching. But in this case, he's getting away from the crowds because they are bombarding him because he's doing miracles. And people want the miracles. They don't want the commitment. They want the miracle, right? Anybody know anybody like that? But let me give you point number one. To sail with God, we have to separate from the crowd. There's another old saying, I don't remember exactly how it went, but you can't soar like an eagle if you're flying with buzzards or something like that, if you're hanging out with buzzards. Eagles soar. Buzzards are the ones looking after the dead things in life, right? They're eating the dead things. But if you're going to sail with God, you're going to take this journey with God, you're going to have to separate from the crowd. You can't be doing what everybody else is doing. You are set apart, just like the Jewish people in the Old Testament were set apart As God's people, if you are claiming you are a born-again believer, we ought to see some fruit. We ought to see you living that thing out, and you should be separated from the crowd, which means, guess what? The world isn't always going to like you. Very rarely will they like you. So if anybody ever told you that becoming a Christian was going to solve your problems, let me just say they're a liar. They lied to you because it just gets harder. Cause now you got to beat the flesh down every day, cause it's gonna try to creep back up, and you got to beat that flesh down and walk and make a choice to live for God. To sail with God, we have to separate from the crowd. First John four four to six tells us this: You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as a of the world hmm interesting we talked about that the first week don't expect heathens to live like christians if they're heathens they're going to live like heathens it's expected but when we got christians living like heathens we got a problem and my first question to you is are you really saved or did you come down in an emotional moment to the front of a church and say i'm going to change and the next day you went back to living like hell Verse 5, they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. The world likes what you got to say if you're living for them. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us. And he who is not of God, guess what, does not hear us. They don't want anything to do with that God garbage. They like living for the world. Remember John 1, I think it's verse 5? The light came into the world, but the darkness did not overcome it. They rejected the light. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you're a believer, how you live in it. Verse 37 there, Mark 4 says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, talking about Jesus, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Let me just give you point two and we'll talk. Point two, sometimes our problems seem bigger than God. But not if you really know him. Notice I said seem. This isn't Bible attitude, Christian attitude. This is what it seems like to us. What happened in this story? Great windstorm rises up. Now, from what I understand of the Sea of Galilee, it's a normal thing. Storms just rise up, and they can come up out of nowhere, and suddenly there's a storm. But fishermen, trained fishermen, you'd think would know the water, right? So would they have gotten out if they'd have known a storm was coming? How many of y'all would have started this Christian journey if you'd have known the storms that's coming? That's why you don't start with the storms. God gives you the peace first. Then you go through the storms as you mature in God. Woo! And there it is, Ed. He always gives me heck on that. I didn't even realize i do it. But here's what happened, though. They panicked. What's going on with Jesus? He's not worried about the storm. He's asleep. He's not worried about it. Because you notice, what did I tell you to remember about the first verse? He said, this is God speaking, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus had no plans of not successfully making it to the other side of this lake. The only ones that thought that it could fail were the ones that panicked and woke him up. That's a whole, I, I got another message, but I'm not going to go there tonight. That'd be another message that get me off track, so we're not going there tonight. Maybe I'll have to plan for that in the future. And they awoke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? First of all, they weren't dead yet. They weren't dying. The boat was starting to fill up. And they panicked. Woo! How many of y'all get panicked when the storms of life come your way? And you're standing in just a little bit of water. And you're like, Jesus, don't you care that I'm perishing? Don't you care what I'm going through? Where's Jesus? He's not worried about the storm. The only ones that worry about it is us. But when one of his kids... That's a separate message. I'm not going there, yet. I'm going to be good. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 to 58. Let me jump to the next verse here. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Anybody ever been in that spot? Sometimes it feels like you've been doing all you can right and nothing's going right. Let me let let you in on a little secret. If you've been doing everything you can to be right, that's why there's a mess. If the devil's afraid of you, He's going to fight you. Expect some storms to come. Do you panic? Or are you like Jesus? You just sleep on through. Give God praise. Have that shalom peace in your life. Completeness. God completes us. That's why I don't know how these people that are living without God can do it. If you're living in a world like this one and you're living without God, it doesn't look like there's any hope. There's that but God again. But God's up to a whole lot, and it's happening right now in this world. Brett read just a few of the headlines. You need to do your own research. Find out the stuff that's going on in your world that God's doing. He's turning some things. There's a tide turning, and God's going to win in the end. Sometimes the enemy would love to throw a storm at you so he could distract you from where God's got you headed. But Jesus said, let's go to the other side. He didn't say you're going to die in this storm. He said, let's go to the other side. Mark 4, 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Let me just build off of point two. Point three is God is bigger than our storms. Remember point two. It seems like sometimes that our storms are bigger than God, but they're not. Point three, God is bigger than our storm. I want you to notice a parallel. And some of these verses, these next couple of psalms I'm going to read to you, I got from the commentary the direction of where it was going because Jesus was paralleling something in the Old Testament in this story. Watch this. Psalm 46, 1 to 5, it says, and we're stopping at verse 5, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, say la pause, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. Ooh, there is a river. That's an old song, isn't it? The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall, what does it say here? She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Anybody ever been there? When it looks like all hope is lost, God's still there. Now we're going to get to Yehovah Shammah next week. God is there, but we're talking about God's peace tonight. God's in the midst of this river that He just talked about, and it shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The old saying, "In the eleventh hour, God will show up." Right? It's eleven fifty-nine and thirty seconds, right before midnight, and you're like, "God, what are we going to do?" And suddenly, whew, God shows up. Hmm. Some of you have testified in here, and I know I've testified. There's been those moments when those, let's just use finances, for example, because I know everybody struggles with them in this society. It just doesn't look like they're going to get paid. Maybe you've been sick, you've been out, you've missed some work, whatever it is, or you're looking for work. Suddenly in the 11th hour, God showed up, and it has happened to me. I've gotten checks in the mail, surprise checks, just from tithing. So I can testify to that. You hear some of these, I know some of y'all get nervous, these TV preachers talking about, but that stuff happens. I've seen it happen in my own life. Unexpected. Not saying that's how God's going to do it for you, but you need to understand something. God likes to show up in the 11th hour. Why is that? He gets the credit. He gets the glory because there was no hope for you until he showed up. And when Jesus showed up in your situation, peace be still. But he's going to chastise them here in a second. Look at verse 40. He said to them, why are you so fearful? This is a question he's asking in today's world, I think. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I think he's asking a lot of the church today. Not all of them because the remnant's rising up. A lot of people that sit in church and claim they're Christians, ask that question to yourself. Why are you so afraid? How is it that you have no faith? That's an interesting word there in the Greek. It's the word pistis. The Greek word for faith there. And I actually break it down even more in a different series, which I may do here later this year. But pistis is a Greek word. It's used 225 times in your New Testament. All right? And this... I like this definition, and it's coming from the NIV Exhaustive Bible Concordance. The word pistis, what does that word mean there? Belief, trust, with an implication that actions based on that trust may follow. You believe it first. Your actions show you believe it. That's faith. Because point number four, if God is in our boat, we have nothing to fear. If God's sailing with you, what are you afraid of? This world has never offered you anything that could benefit you at all. But if God's in your boat, you got nothing to fear. Psalm 107, another parallel. Just listen to this. Just listen. It'll be up here on your screen for those watching online. Psalm 107, 23 to 32. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the ways of the sea. Sound like anything we just talked about? They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro, he's talking about the people that go down to the sea, and stagger like a drunken man, and are at their wit's end. <laughs> Does this sound like what we just read? Read it, just hang on, let's see, at their wit's end. Verse 28, then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. Why do we wait till we get to wit's end to cry out to God? Just saying, could have saved yourself a whole lot of stress if you had called on him in the first place. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distress. This whole passage is talking about sailors going down to the sea, getting on some stormy waters, panicking, and then God showed up and delivered them. He calms the storm, verse 29, so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Did that not sound like tonight's story? Watch, it's not over yet. Verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Some of y'all are like, well, it's Jesus, of course, right? Well, the disciples were living it. They hadn't been with Jesus very long when this story took place. They've seen him do some miracles, but never calm in the sea. How would you have reacted? Suddenly this guy stands up and says, peace be still. The storm quits instantly. And then he looks at you and said, why are you so afraid? I like the fact that he started with, let's go to the other side. He's like, how is it you have no faith? You've watched me. And this is what he's chastising them. Go read it. Go read the text for yourself. Mark is the shortest gospel. Go read it. There's 16 chapters. Early on, they're seeing Jesus do miracles. And he's like, how is it you have no faith? You've seen me do things. Maybe nothing to this magnitude, but you've seen it. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? His last point tonight, the peace of God is beyond understanding. When you're going through a storm, he's the only one that can calm your waves. Calm your waves. Because Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Got to keep praising God, thanking him. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How do you get the peace I got? Jesus. Nothing I've done. I just follow him. I know what he's up to. I'm watching what he's doing in the world. I don't care what the news is saying. I watch what God's doing. And when you watch what God's doing, I guarantee you, your hope's going to go whoop. You're going to be like, wow, God did that and that and that. We're not going to hit any specifics tonight. But you need to understand, while you're asking for help in the midst of your storm, be anxious for nothing. But with all things, with prayer and thanksgiving and supplication, make your request name known to God. He will grant you requests. Something along those lines, I paraphrased. Because I already closed it Where are you sitting tonight? Do you know Yehovah Shalom? The Lord God is peace What storm are you going through tonight? Do you want peace from that storm? Turn it online, I will go ahead and dismiss you Thank you so much for joining with us It starts with a relationship with Jesus If you don't have a relationship with Jesus You're not going to make it very far on your journey And the actual journey doesn't begin until you get a relationship with Jesus. How do you do that? You ask. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose on the third day, becoming victorious over death that I might live. I ask you to come into my heart, be Lord of my life, forgive me of all my sins. From here on out, I want to live my life for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray, amen. You prayed that prayer, you meant it from the bottom of your heart. Welcome to God's family. Let me help you. Salvation is not a prayer. It's a lifestyle. If you don't change the life after the prayer, you just said some words. Nothing happened. No change was made. But if you meant it and your lifestyle changes, congratulations. Welcome to God's family. Receive your free gift of salvation. The next thing you need to do is find a church that's open, that are making disciples, and get baptized. Because that's what Jesus did next. And I won't quit telling you, get baptized. It's the next step. It's important. It's your way of showing the rest of the world the change God has already made on the inside of you. Baptism doesn't save you. It's a whole other step in the journey. You have to ask, once you receive salvation, then you're baptized. God bless you for tuning in online. Thank you so much. Check out nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. We'll see you next week.